Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Everything 80s Stranger Things Season 4 Preview Special. After almost three years since season three debuted, Stranger Things season four is back. And to say it looks to be bigger and better than ever is a massive understatement. This preview special is going to look at a few things. It's a little more casual than the regular shows. We're going to do a recap of season three. We're going to look at what we know so far as far as the plot, production, all that sort of thing. A look at a breakdown of a few of the trailers, and we're also going to look at some of the commercial crossovers that are happening this time around. Stranger Things is not only a love letter to the 80s, it's an homage to some of the best films of all time that came out during the decade. And so far through the first three seasons, we've got nods to classic films such as E.T., Jaws, The Thing, Evil Dead, Back to the Future, The Goonies, The Lost Boys, Fletch. It'll be interesting to see which movies are a big influence on the fourth season. It's also heavily influenced by Dungeons and Dragons, and another character from the game becomes the primary focus of the fourth season. But let's start with that recap of season three. And in case you haven't watched Stranger Things and you're thinking of diving into season four, season three is pretty important just to sort of connect the two seasons. And like I said, can you believe it's been nearly three years since it debuted? The season dropped on July 4th, 2019. It feels like a lifetime ago. It started with the first episode, Susie, Do You Copy? We find out Dustin has been away at camp and apparently has a girlfriend. He's also picked up the ham radio and seems to intercept some bizarre Russian signals. At the same time, Will feels that something is wrong. He's got his spidey sense going on. Eleven has grown up, and her newfound friendship with Max is helping her discover, you know, teenage life. Hopper also has hated how close Eleven has gotten with Mike. So a lot of this season, season three, revolves around um, the Starcourt Mall, where Steve and newcomer Robin work. Fearful of Russian spies, they and Dustin try to track some of them down. Meanwhile, Nancy and Jonathan are working for the local newspaper and investigate some strange occurrences in town, especially involving rats. In the meantime, Billy's, uh, who's the brother of Max or the stepbrother or whatever, is working at a pool and he's become infected with something during uh, sort of an accident on the road where he encounters himself um, and he's getting visions of the upside down. So speaking of Hopper, he and Joyce are in the middle of their own will they, won't they situation. Eleven realizes Billy can sense her and now he's gone missing. Steve, Dustin, and Robin decode a Russian message and find out shipments are being made to the mall. 
Also, something is still going on at the old Hawkins lab, and Will realizes the Mind Flayer is still alive. So people in Hawkins have started to go missing, and it turns out there is a secret Russian lab under the Starcourt Mall. In this lab, there is a portal, as it appears, to the upside down. So later on, Joyce and Hopper kidnap a Russian named Alexei, while the Russians capture Steve and Robin. Eleven defeats an early form of the Mind Flayer in uh, the cabin in the woods, and that sends it to the old mill in town. And now the Mind Flayer is trying to kill Eleven because she opened the gate originally. So Billy is still possessed by the Mind Flayer, and this leads to the Battle of Starcourt Mall. It's a final showdown. Billy sacrifices himself to save Eleven and Max. They destroy the Mind Flayer while Joyce and Hopper blow up the machine below the mall, which seemingly kills Hopper in the process. We later learn, of course, that Hopper has been transported to Russia, while Joyce, Will, and Eleven, who has now lost all her powers, they leave Hawkins. Okay, what do we know about season four? So this episode is going to come out just a few days before season four premieres. And as of right now, recording this, this is all the info I've found that's been available. There might be even more stuff that's dropped in between. But here's what we do know. Because of the pandemic, the creators of the show were given more time, and that allowed them to flesh out the script as much as possible. And I think this is only going to benefit the show. That's the thing with entertainment. Movies and TV shows usually have deadlines, and what we get is the best possible version they could get out in time. Sometimes it seems like we don't get the best version, and the series or movie could have vastly benefited if they had just another few months to tighten things up or a few more reshoots. Sometimes too much time isn't beneficial as the creators start to overthink things too much and it can result in a bloated mess. But with Stranger Things, the Duffer brothers say that extra time allowed them to polish the script to a point that wouldn't have been possible given the original deadline. We also know that Netflix has sunk a lot of money into this thing, and that's not surprising. It's become very public that Netflix has experienced a serious setback. Subscribers were down over 200,000 compared to this time last year. And there's probably a few reasons. More people are sharing account passwords, and there are many more streaming options available. Just five years ago, we didn't have Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, Prime Video, and the many options we have now. Netflix is in a bit of trouble, and Stranger Things Season 4 could not have come at a better time. This show is truly one of the backbones of the entire platform, and the company has reportedly spent $30 million per episode, which is mind-boggling. I think the interest in the series will bring back many people who may have stepped away from Netflix over the last few years. You know, they only jump in every now and then when there's a big series, and it may also bring fresh eyes to them. This means with that budget, the CGI in production of season four will be at a level we have not seen yet. It's funny, when you go back and look at the first season, which is brilliant, it really is lo-fi TV. The budget wasn't anything to write home about because there was, you know, it was a brand new series. There was no faith this thing was even going to work. So everything was extremely low tech. They relied on costumes, practical effects, and a lot of lighting to create the tone and the atmosphere of the show. And that's what, to me, makes it even more remarkable. It really was a low-tech show, and it was the script, the acting, and that tone that made it so engaging and scary. Sometimes the idea of the monster is scarier than the monster itself, and that was at the essence of Stranger Things. 
This is the same approach uh, used in Jaws, which is a massive influence on Stranger Things. The original Jaws was going to feature a lot more shark, but when they realized how terrible the mechanical shark was, Steven Spielberg made the tough decision to limit footage of it and instead focus on the anticipation, the dread, and the terror of Jaws. It was that anticipation that made it so dramatic and scary. Same thing with Jurassic Park. Stranger Things remains an homage to this style of filmmaking and storytelling. Speaking of Jaws, the way this, hopefully you find this interesting, the way Stranger Things was first pitched to Netflix was three different movie combinations. The kids are the Goonies and set in E.T. The adults are in Jaws and it's sort of set in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And the teenagers are in A Nightmare on Elm Street and in Halloween Combined. So now they have a huge budget. How is that going to affect things in season four? We know the main monster in season four, Vecna, continues the usage of characters from Dungeons and Dragons. Vecna is a skeletal humanoid who is one of the few truly original characters from the D&D world. So does he or it actually control the Upside Down? Are Vecna and the Upside Down one and the same? Is that what we're going to find out, that he's been controlling everything the whole time we know this season will be much more horror based which seems intense as there's been quite a bit of horror in the last few seasons but it comes back to that original premise especially the one about the kids are the goonies and it's set in et but the kids are no longer in the goonie age range so the duffer brothers have said they are transitioning to a more horror based tone We also know now that the nine episodes will be split into two volumes, and this just just came out the other day. And it's a pretty interesting split. Part one will contain seven of the nine episodes. The Duffer Brothers have said that season four is twice as long as the previous seasons. With over 800 pages of script, it's supposed to be a much deeper story requiring a longer time to tell it. It's reportedly five hours longer than season three. Episodes 7 and 9 specifically are supposed to be full movies. Episode 9 is reportedly already nearly two and a half hours long and not even completely finished yet, apparently. Each episode is supposed to be at least 75 minutes long. Even despite pandemic restrictions, this season has taken two years to film. So we know Volume 1 will debut on May 27th and Volume 2 will be released on July 1st. I love this split as opposed to dumping all the episodes out at once. I wish, honestly, they would release it weekly. I've just come to hate the binge style of series releases. I find there's no way to build a collective viewing experience. You feel like you have to watch it all at once just to catch up and avoid spoilers. And just when you dump them all out, I don't know. I don't love it. I I prefer an old school weekly release like Disney Plus does with Marvel and Star Wars series. Since no one can get ahead, it creates more of a real-time experience, like I said, and we can share it together compared to the person who watches them all in one night and releases spoilers everywhere. But at least with this split, no one can get ahead and find out what happens. We will all have to wait. And people who can't watch right away can catch up through June. They've got basically five weeks Speaking of getting ahead, the Stranger Things YouTube channel, this was also just yesterday, I think, or the day before. The Stranger Things YouTube channel has released the first eight minutes of episode one to watch. I won't spoil it. I don't know if you want to wait till the whole series drops, but 
the first eight minutes takes us right back. There'll be spoiler alerts sort of as we go. So just keep that in mind. Not that I know anything, but just from what we've sort of learned. The first eight minutes takes place in 1979 at the Hawkins Lab, and it is bloody intense. The key word being bloody. If the first eight minutes are this nuts, God knows what the rest of this series is going to be like. Okay, let's look at some of the trailer breakdowns here. And we had a teaser trailer quite a while ago. It was almost, what, six, eight months ago? I'll be honest, when I first saw that teaser trailer, I wasn't as pumped as I had been for the previous three seasons. Well, I guess technically two seasons, because the first one just dropped out of nowhere. I wasn't sure about the direction they were taking, and I was worried, you know, pandemic production restrictions could affect it. It's pretty obvious to see what productions were affected by pandemic restrictions, you know, isolated shooting locations, minimal cast members in a shot. You can see that in a lot of series, uh, say like in the Boba Fett series, when it's, you know, just two people in the scene and they're separated by more than 10 feet. Uh, that, But that's just an observation. I have no right to complain. And it's astonishing and commendable how these productions continue to press on and find ways to adapt and how thankful we are that they just continue to create. This was a concern I had with Stranger Things season four, but it was more that the trailer, that original teaser just didn't blow me away. I don't know. I just didn't feel like it captured the essence of Stranger Things, but that was the teaser. And in the past month or so, my excitement has come back and peaked. The main trailer was brilliant, perfect. And we've been getting some hints and sneak peeks along the way. So again, this is the potential spoiler warnings in case anything discovered from the trailers comes true. And, you know, at this point, there have been a lot of great trailer breakdowns by some of the top YouTube channels, such as New Rockstars. One thing featured in both trailers and posters and promotional material for season four is a ticking grandfather clock. One of the first images and announcements for the whole series featured a grandfather clock. Does this refer to some form of time travel? Is the ticking clock representative of the passing of time that the kids are going through? Various trailers have featured that grandfather clock in a room that reminds me of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Will there be some form of wardrobe to return the characters to various points in time? We know the series features a return back to Eleven as we first saw her in season one. They've apparently used some of that de-aging technology on Millie Bobby Brown. So are we getting flashbacks or are we getting actual returns back to that time period when Eleven is first developing her powers and all that training through the Hawkins lab. Are they using this clock somehow? Is there a portal that takes them back in time to this area? Or again, is it just a flashback? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The trailer also shows the destroyed machine under the Starcourt Mall. The entrance into the Upside Down appears to still be glowing. And we obviously know now from other teasers and stuff that Hopper made it through all the way to the other side to Russia. So is the portal not totally closed? Also, what other portals are out there, especially in Russia, since this seems to be such a big focus of accessing the Upside Down and the version of the Cold War that we're now seeing. Has one of the portals created enough energy that it may have resulted in a significant disaster? We know the series is set in the spring of 1986. This would be right after April 1986 and the time of the Chernobyl disaster. Was this the result of the Russians trying to access the Upside Down and things went terribly wrong? Did they cover it up under the guise of a nuclear accident and just blamed it on Chernobyl? Will we see more of the Cold War? Is that what Eleven and the other numbered kids were actually created for? Are they weapons? Paul Reiser is back as Dr. Sam Owens, and he lets the crew in California, that's the Byers family and Eleven, know that everyone in Hawkins is again in deep trouble. We know that despite the cross-country split, that the characters are, of course, going to get back together. And it might happen because they, the kids in Hawkins and Mike and whatever are visiting Will and Eleven for spring break in California. They've been sort of pushing this idea of spring break. So maybe something in California is happening or eventually they do have to get back to Hawkins. Also, what's interesting, if you watch the various trailers and whatnot, you're seeing different combinations of the characters again. And I like that. Like, so, you know, say in the last season, we'd see that Stephen uh, Dustin combination. And it, like, you know, so they're not sticking always with the same pairings or whatnot. It looks like there's different combinations that work together. And I like that because now, as you've got to know the characters better, you can see these new dynamics when they, they mix with each other. So, one thing we also see are the kids visiting. The Creel House, that's the family name, C-R-E-E-L. And that's the house where it also looks like the grandfather clock is being kept in the attic. The story of this is this is a house where in the 1950s, a man named Victor Creel murdered his whole family. And watching this, I'm getting kind of the Shining vibes a little bit. Who knows? The modern Victor Creel is played by Freddy Krueger himself, Robert Englund. So is this house another key area to access the Upside Down? Are they going back in time again? Is this Victor Creel important in the creation of, of maybe the, the kids, like the numbered kids, like 11? Is he the one who sort of helped create this mind-controlling technology? Who knows? Let's look at a few other things from the trailers and some theories connected to them. In the trailer, if you've been following Stranger Things and the breakdowns, you've probably seen this everywhere. In the trailer, there is a split-second frame that you have to pause or you'll miss it. And it has some time codes 
at four different parts of the screen. And next to the time codes are superimposed light flashes. And people online have figured all this out. When you line up the superimposed part at the timestamp, like one of them I think is one minute and 14 seconds of the trailer. So when you take that one image and where there's this sort of like superimposed burn mark, each of those lines up to words that are actually in the trailer at those different parts. Um, and they're connected to each time. And if you go back and look through them, the different timestamps reveal the words, hi, I am master hell, or it all, depending on which way you look at it, it might also say, I am the hell master. So not sure how that's going to all play into it. In one of the scenes of the trailer, we see a Demogorgon in sort of like a caged pit area. And it's not a as big as the other one we've seen. It looks a little smaller. So are the Russians, are they creating them or breeding them or having access to the younger ones as they grow? And are they testing them to use in some form of combat? Again, is this another Cold War um, sort of aspect to it or, or under the guise of the Cold War and it's actually training these things? We also see a new character named Eddie. And we have to wonder, is he another test number along with 11? Is the upside down, he's the one playing the guitar at the end, is he able to access the upside down or are we seeing the upside down through his projections? How important is he? Was he the very first test number? Is he number one? There's a scene where Max is floating above Billy's grave. We also see her running toward a portal in the upside down where you can see the silhouettes of the other kids. So is Max the key to defeating Vecna and, and closing the Upside Down? Is she somehow able to harness power from Billy through her? Do they have that connection that he's able to somehow pass it out on and he, you know, exists in some form in the Upside Down? We know as so far that Eleven has lost her powers. So will Max be instrumental in their journey or helping them get back to 11, help her get those powers back. We also see what looks like Joyce and Murray on a rescue mission in a plane. Are they in Russia? Are they trying to find Hopper and bring him back? Is this thing going to end in Russia? Is it going to end in Hawkins in California? Is it going to come back to the States? Is it going to end up where it's somewhere completely different? We know there will be a fifth season and that's going to be the last season. So this penultimate season, you know, how, what are we going to be left with? Is it going to be left on sort of uh, this whole season on a note of um, impending doom? Will it be on a note of hope? Usually penultimate episodes uh, are left on a real, like, uh, not, I don't want to say a downer, but with a sense of like, everything's kind of gone to hell. So I don't know if that's how this season's going to finish, knowing the next season is the final one. Okay, so that's a bunch of the theories and different uh, projections of what may happen. And I wanted to look at also the commercial crossover aspect because I loved what they did in season three. They brilliantly, to me, used real-life product placement and included it in the show based on the time period while also releasing a modern version. So if you don't know this or whatever, I'm talking about the infamous new Coke, which came out in 1985 when season three was set. And I've covered the disaster of new Coke 
on this podcast before if you want to go back into the early episodes. It's one of my all-time favorite 1980s related topic. And the show and the company, Coke, released a limited edition Stranger Things new Coke release. They went back, remade that original new Coke formula and released these, you know, branded packs with the release of the show and then included it perfectly within the series. So it, uh, to me, it's this amazing combination of taking a real life product that no longer exists, but existed then, but also exists in the fictional world of Stranger Things. I think it's brilliant. If you're a Stranger Things aficionado, you will probably remember when season three came out, the crossover with Coke and Coke launched, a f- like I said, a few of these limited edition packs of the original new Coke formula. And they created this like retro website where you could go on to get it. It was all, I loved it all. I was able to get one of the novelty packs when they released. I got one of the few, but they wouldn't ship to Canada, which crushes me to this day. So this season, the crossover done with a released commercial slash trailer is with Domino's Pizza. So I'm not sure if everyone saw this because I I felt like they didn't promote this uh, crossover commercial trailer very well, but it's a great... um, Stranger Things clip and it shows Dustin and Lucas picking up an order at Domino's. So it, it's sort of giving us insights into the story as well as, you know, the obvious product placement commercial crossover. So while in this commercial, look it up on YouTube, while Dustin and Lucas are picking up their order at the Hawkins lab, we see those mind control techniques being used on the kids. Now they're trying to make them able to send an order to a pizza place through their minds. So they're in, all in the pizza place, Domino's, the power flickers in the store and an order comes through. So it seems stupid, but I thought this was very effectively done. Again, obvious cross promotion, but still this with this trailer commercial thing encompasses the spirit of the show, the tone of the 80s, and seems to hint at potential plot points. So just some fun facts on Domino's. The three dots on the Domino's logo represent the first three locations. So like New Coke, I think the inclusion of Domino's is a pretty good one because, yes, it's obvious product placement, but Domino's had really exploded by this point in the 80s when season four is set. They first went international here in Canada in 1983 and started opening their first locations outside of North America. So in 1978, the company had just 200 stores. Less than 10 years later, when Stranger Things season four set, they're now at over a thousand stores. Again, by 86, Domino's was a huge part of the fast food landscape and they were at the height of the 30 minutes or it's free era. And that would end in 1987. So to me, I think it's a pretty natural inclusion in the whole show. I just find with movies and TV shows and and streaming series, we know we're going to get product placement shoved down our throats. I at least appreciate a lot how Stranger Stranger Things has approached this uh, inevitable product placement. I think they do it in a really, really smart way. So I'll start winding it down here. And honestly, like, I can't wait. I don't care if season four is garbage or mind-blowing or just average. I'm just happy to have this show back. Like I said, this series caught the world by storm when it first debuted. 
And it's fully cemented itself into pop culture, despite being a gateway to pop culture of the past. And it, it perfectly marries those two worlds, all the great things we love of the 80s, all these great shows, and then um, bringing it into a modern setting. I, I think that's great storytelling. And I think this series works so well. And I mentioned this in the Crocodile Dundee episode. And the question always comes up, is like, why are the things of the eighties, like the movies, especially, why do they seem to stand out so much? Why do they hold up better than other decades? And my theory is because they, the, the movies and, and stuff of the eighties, they combine multiple genres all at once, instead of like say movies of the seventies or the nineties being like just an action movie or just a horror movie. The, the movies of the eighties combine all these genres in one thing. And like I mentioned, Back to the Future being the easy example. It's a science fiction movie. It's an action adventure movie. It's time travel. It's a comedy. It's a romance. It's a coming of age story. And Stranger Things has done that same thing. It's a ton of different genres all at once. It's horror. It's fantasy. It's science fiction. It's comedy. It's a teen romance. It's all those things we love perfectly encapsulated in one series. And I think that's why this, uh, this might not pinpoint it in your mind, but to me, that's the reason the movies of the eighties hold up so well and have um, been so beloved over time. And I think that's why stranger things is also been so beloved and so embraced by so many people, regardless of whether they lived in the eighties or not. I just think it's, they've taken all the best of those genres and put it together into one really tremendous series. Okay. We'll finish it there. Hope you're excited for the new season. Hope you enjoyed this preview show. And just as we finish, if you're in a position to do so, if you're interested in supporting this channel, you can consider uh, supporting at patreon.com. So that's the platform for where as little as a few bucks a month, you can support me, but you also get audio rewards for doing so. So one of the tiers, speaking of movies and stuff of the eighties, the middle tier is the Boba Fett tier. And that gives you access to the everything eighties movie review podcast, where I review all the good, the bad, and the ugly of 1980s movies. So if you're interested in supporting and you want to learn more, just head to patreon.com slash 80 so that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash 80s or wherever you're listening to this on there should be a link that'll take you right there okay that's it for me thank you for listening i'll see you soon with a recap show don't you dare miss it